0: What, did y'all think I forgot about you? <laughs> it has been a while since I have been on the podcast land because life has been a little nuts. I published my own book. I have been working hard on getting the audiobook finished and it just got done, thank God. Let me tell you what, DIYing a book publishing and an, and an audiobook all by yourself was a lot bigger, you know, while going to graduate school at the same time. Didn't know it was gonna be as much work as it was, but uh, it's done and I'm very proud of it. And, you know, uh, it came right at the, at the point when, it came right at the point when this whole COVID-19 outbreak began And I was thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna be back on my game. But these first few weeks have really shown me how much work I have to do to keep myself sane. So um, I took some time, I recalibrated, I looked at what I could give and what I needed to do for myself. And now I think I'm at a place where it's like, all right, it's time to begin again. So uh, we're back, the podcast is back and uh, I'm really, really excited. Um, for this first conversation. I have been talking with a bunch of my friends over the past few weeks um, prior to the outbreak. So if it sounds uh, a little tone deaf, um, it's because it was recorded a few weeks ago or over the course of... Uh, You know before all of this insanity ensued so don't worry. We're gonna catch up to normal days But I figure maybe this can be a time for you to check out a little bit do something and think about something other than washing your hands or am I gonna die, you know those typical feelings and things like that Uh, So yeah, so I am so glad to be back today's guest is my friend Andre Henry and I'm gonna tell you about him in just a second. So hang tight we'll be right back and i'll tell you about andre this is a tiny revolution welcome back hey hi hello and welcome back like i said this week's conversation is with my friend andre henry so let me tell you a little about him after watching a black man bleed to death on facebook live in 2016 Andre decided to lug a 100-pound granite boulder around Los Angeles for six months to demonstrate the burden that systemic racism lays on the Black psyche. This path has led him to walk in the footsteps of great freedom fighters like Gandhi, Mandela, Martin Luther King, learning about nonviolent social movements at the Harvard Kennedy schools, consulting with founders of international movements and national revolutions, as well as hearing and receiving the countless stories of ordinary people fighting against impossible odds and winning. If you've seen those sweaters or t-shirts all around us on you know, the Instagrams and whatnot that says, it doesn't have to be this way, that's also one of Andre's designs. Oh, and it doesn't have to be this way, y'all. Um, In addition to that, he's also an incredible musician and finds himself living in Los Angeles these days, doing the same things he's always loved, which is, like I said, making music, studying revolution, and stirring up what civil rights icon John Lewis would call good trouble. He speaks mostly about racial justice and social change, sharing the insights he's gleaned from the journey, and continues to produce music for himself and others. And let me tell you what, he is such a brilliant writer. And I can't wait for you to you know, listen to his words, hear his music. If you haven't already been streaming that and know what you're doing, you need to get yourself to Spotify immediately. <laughs> immediately. Yeah, you gotta put the ah oh on there. The icloud? Somebody who knows music um, stuff, you know, let me know. Anyways, I am thrilled that I got to have him here on the podcast. Um, he's been one of my good Judys for a while, ever since he picked up the phone in the middle of the night when I called him while I was, I think I was pretty stoned. Um, but anyways, That's neither here nor there. So why don't you, beloved, grab yourself something to drink, um, you know, something to snuggle up with. Maybe you're cleaning the apartment right now. If you can take a second to breathe in. (sighs) Doesn't that feel nice? Okay, so let's go ahead and get into it. This is my conversation with my friend Andre Henry. I'll just uh, just a quick note about the sound. I was trying to figure out a new recording software when we recorded this, so My voice sounds like shit, but Andre's sounds delicious and buttery. So sorry about that. But anyways, enjoy it.
1: But for people who don't know who you are, Mm -hmm. um, if you were to, you're at a, I always say, you're at a party and, you know, people are coming up to you like, wow, you look like an interesting person. What do you, what's your thing? What do you do? What would you say to that? that new friend who is curious but not abrasive and um, you know assume that they have like a level of uh, they know things like they're not like you don't have to yeah you don't have to educate them (laughs) (laughs) they know things yeah the kind of person you want to run into at a party
2: okay so I would probably tell them that I am an artist Um, I like to make music I like to write and that most of my life is about trying to start an anti-racist evolution, uh, revolution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes,
1: that's you know, very casual.
2: I drop that on people, honestly. Like sometimes when people are like, "So what do you do? I'm like, I'm trying to start a revolution."
1: <laughs> it's like y'all think we're like, you know, it's very interesting that you say like because ever since I was 16, And this is like showing my like Southern evangelical roots, Mm -hmm. but I've loved the word revival so much. Oh, but I know weird, right. Mm -hmm. But not a revival in the sense that I, I want everybody to like get right with Jesus and like get baptized or whatever. Uh Um, When I think about revival, I think about kind of like how William Barber talks about the revival of the moral imagination Mm -hmm. and I've been reading a lot of um, books on Black preaching and just the imagination of the Black preacher and Martin Luther King's work. And it really does boil down to like relatively reviving the imagination of people of like what's possible. And so
2: yes, <sighs> it just gets me yes, very excited. Yeah. It's so important. And that is like really like that's that's my life. That's what I want to yeah. do.
1: like what does that mean like what do you mean like you want to start a revolution (laughs) um Um, well but that's like but but like the person like i'm I'm thinking of like my mother so if she ever listens to the podcast but she doesn't because i talk too much about my sex life um (laughs) but i wonder like if someone's like okay well when you say revolution what do you mean
2: yeah well, that's a really good question because a lot of people, they use the word revolution and they really just mean sexy or exciting or, you know, like they, they're they not talking about like actually changing the world. And some people think they're talking about changing the world, but really what they're talking about is they want their business to grow really big, you know, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> you know, but when I say revolution, I mean that we really need for our society to adopt a new common sense around racial justice, around um, how we spend money, uh, around how we value people, how we treat them as human, around criminal justice, around um, rights for all marginalized people, and all that kind of thing. And I used to be a little bit afraid of saying the word revolution because. One, people usually think of uh, armed revolution. They think of violent revolution, overthrowing the government with guns and such. Um, that's not the kind of revolution I'm talking about. And um, I also I also used to feel scared or timid about saying revolution because I wasn't sure that we actually needed revolutionary change. Um, some people... Think that what we have can be reformed here and there. But near the end of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, he even was saying, You know, I thought that I could change things by tweaking the system, a little bit of change here, a little bit of reform there. But now, near the now, I mean, he didn't know, he didn't necessarily know it was the end of his life, but he was just saying, Now, later in my career, I'm realizing that this entire society needs. Uh, transformation it needs a revolution of values and that's how i feel like the reason why we have a black lives matter movement and a never again movement and an extinction rebellion movement against global warming and an lgbtq movement and an animal rights movement and all this is because all of these things are messed up at the same time so we need sweeping Uh, we need sweeping, substantial change in our society. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think that's like, for me, like, that's what I mean, like at least my faith work has done for me so far. And like, it's very interesting. It's like, I feel like I met Jesus and then I decided I was like, Oh, Jesus, he's, he's not as concerned with the people inside the church walls as is about the people who A, have been kicked out or hurt by, or, you know, are continually oppressed by this structure that people created called the church. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting that like Jesus becomes like, for like Jesus has become for me, the ultimate rebellious leader. Like, he's just like, listen, guys, like we're trying to like. It's not about what you put into your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth, which defiles you. It's not about, yeah. you know, these little things here and there. It's like, change your mind. Change yeah. your mind.
2: I've been thinking about Jesus uh, lately as a movement scholar, a movement intellectual Ooh. Because what people like to say, or when I say people, I usually mean white Christians in this context. <laughs> say that. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be so, honest, Brenda. So, so, a lot of white Christians will tell me, well, Jesus never tried to lead a revolution against Rome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: in a sense, they're uh, right. You know, Jesus did yeah, not yes tell... No. Jesus did not build a movement of millions of Jews and other marginalized people in the Roman Empire and tell them it's time to take up our swords and kill Caesar. Yeah, he did not do that. Uh, he also did not organize the kinds of nonviolent demonstrations that we see today either. Um, mm-hmm. We could go into why that is, um, partly because the concept of nonviolent struggle did not really exist in the way that it does today back then. But mm-hmm. the point that I'm making, the the more salient point that I'd rather make about this is that people have all kinds of different roles when it comes to justice seeking and movement, right. movement building and the role of an intellectual is not necessarily to organize the masses and lead you know, like lead a, a million Hebrew march, you know, to, see, to Caesar's uh, palace, mm. <laughs> right? The role right. of a movement intellectual is to provide the moral or ethical or theological or philosophical, whatever it is, to, pres- to provide the information and frameworks by which others will use that information to build their movements for justice. and so yeah yeah, yeah. i've been thinking about jesus in that way lately i'm probably going to write a paper so i can submit it to like some phd program or something but about jesus (laughs) but about jesus uh providing the foundation for which people will take their actions of of resistance Mm -hmm. against oppressive powers yeah um fuck it up that's so good (laughs) and and that's
1: sometimes like i think where I've been getting into this idea. I mean, I'm getting. I'm finishing up my master's in practical theology, and mm-hmm. what I didn't realize um, during my time uh, in my MDiv, pro- I was only in the MDiv program for a year before I switched. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I didn't realize that within like um, Christian academia, mm-hmm. uh, that theology was divided along such very stark lines. Like, oh, practical theologian over here. Oh, other yeah. theologians and right. ethicists like live over here.
2: Yeah. But,
1: like yeah. practical theology is like this really kind of like weird black sheep of the part of the family oh, because, yeah. because practical theology, um, its whole point is to ask, how do you know what you know? Yes. And, yes. and are you sure? And then continually ask that question, ask about practices, ask about context, ask about um, lived experience, ask about how tradition it's all about like I think like it's using our, our lives as all, this holy text um, but boy what, what, what I hear you saying too is just like there it takes all of us like they both like the intellectual right. person who's like getting all of these kind of like getting into like the minds of the elite or the academic or like the affluent. Mm -hmm. And being able to, I was like, oh, I understand how you're thinking, and now I can deconstruct it for everybody else. Like, hey, this is what they think about you, but they don't know that they think that about you. So this is how, you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that with practical theology, you're always asking the question, like, what do we do with this? Right? Mm -hmm. When you're... And not all not all branches of theology are necessarily concerned with what do you do with this Mm. information? Yeah, it's just some of it is. And I I don't mean like there's anything wrong with thinking, but some of it is just like. Okay, let me just back up for a second. When I started like really fighting for racial justice, Mm -hmm. I was finishing up my theology degree at Fuller Seminary. Nice. And I found. That a lot of the questions that I was once concerned with about God Mm -hmm. just did not matter to me anymore.
1: 100%.
2: You know, because now the question was the the question of my life became what can we do so that Black people can be truly free? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for me, arguing about, um, you know, like I'm, I'm not saying that these things have no <laughs> no relevance whatsoever necessarily, but the relevance is not always obvious. So, mm-hmm. I, I remember James Cohn writes in his mm-hmm. uh, "God of the Oppressed," I believe it is. He writes that um, the question about homoousias, like whether yes. whether the spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, or whether <laughs> the spirit proceeds from the Father. <laughs> is not a question that black people are sitting around arguing about That's it. the question that black people want to answer want answered is will jesus show up for me in Mm -hmm. a white supremacist society and that that kind of describes how i started feeling so that's what i'm saying about you know all these different branches of theology some of them are not really concerned about the Mm -hmm. thing that you're concerned with on the ground but practical theology is is that is the question is you mm-hmm. know about something happening in real time in real space and real communities on the ground you know how how does what we say about God apply to this specific situation yes
1: <clears throat> yeah and also I think you guys have the question like well what do I do with that and like that's the that's um like when I was when I, we were thank God my theology teachers were like like we read in my opinion a great mm-hmm. diverse landscape of theologies um outside of you know we you know we read the classics and whatnot but then like we also read cone and um uh what the fuck was his name (laughs) see this this is what happens in grad school it's just like you get all the data and information and then uh i forget i'm so bad with names Mm -hmm. i should remember but getting into like um liberation theology and then mucarista theology and then yeah. something I didn't expect getting into is like this practical theology, like really just like wants to blow the walls off of what we call theology because it's just basically saying like every single experience that we have could be an experience of God if we pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this happens for me um, within like movement work and trying to figure out like, how do we, again, like the most pressing thing on, on everyone's mind is like, Oh my God, we have an election. We have to figure out how to elect a person to beat Donald Trump. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and then at the same time, also not let fear be the reason that we vote. And then at the same time, be practical. (laughs) Um, but I think it it goes back to like, this is one of the reasons I'm such a huge fan of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, frankly, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, Is that thing of just like, don't tell me what cannot be done. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, don't tell me that a woman can't get elected because it's just like, yeah. It's like, with that attitude, of course. But it it comes back to like, you know, like there's like um, kind of healing that diseased moral imagination that we have inherited from generations and generations of trauma. Mm -hmm. It's like, and we've come to a point where I think it's just like, I know you guys are traumatized. I know everything triggers you and I need you to show up. You need you to show up. Like Mm -hmm. it's, 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 uh, it's literally do or die. If not for you, then for your friends or these people you claim are your friends.
2: Yeah. I love what you talk about, like the imagination, because when we talk about, when we talk about the, the revolution that needs to happen (laughs) so much of it has to do with what we believe what we think what we can imagine what we can't imagine you know and I used to think that like I used to think that imagination um at least talking about social change I was like people are being like really sentimental that's how I used to feel but i just realize some of this is from study because i read a you know I've, I've studied a lot about social change and social transformation i realize people will not get behind a cause that they and they won't fight a battle they don't think they can win you know so i mean at the at the very base of it is like in order for people to pursue the kinds of changes that need to happen in society they have to first be able to imagine <laughs> that the situation they're in is changeable. And if they don't, if they can't imagine that the, that the situation they're in is changeable, then they're not gonna fight for change. The other thing is, if they can't imagine an alternative to what already is, you know, they're also not gonna move. This is why when you talk about prisons and how prisons are places of trauma, prisons create trauma. Uh, prisons create criminals they do not they do not keep us safe from prison from criminals. they create criminals and then put them back on the street. If somebody does something horrible and we put them in prison in, in the way that we do uh, incarceration right now, they're gonna come out of prison worse than they were when they walked in. Um, but when you say maybe we should not lock people in cages as a form of uh, punishment or justice, people always go, then what are we gonna do, right? And the the inability to imagine something else keeps us with what we have, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Trying to confront white supremacy with white people is incredibly difficult because white people don't seem to believe that on the other side of confronting this thing, that there is a possibility for a good future for them, you know. Right,
1: because they um, still think it's a zero sum game that if someone else has, I will be without.
2: They think that racial justice will result in their ruin. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 I know.
1: That's, I know that I shouldn't laugh at that because it's like literally <laughs> what they think. But, but like, it,
2: but that is what they imagine. You know. Yes. So my thing is that. Um, I'm going to talk about Black people because that's what I know well. No, bring it on. But I think that, I, I think that the, while you're yeah, keep I going. the intersections me. are there for other people who've been marginalized, but mm-hmm. when Black but Black people have been offering White Americans a different vision for America's future for centuries now. And it's a future where we live in an equitable society where there is love and there is community. I mean, not all black people have like some some black people have imagined like the future should just be kill whitey and let's get on with it. But but for the most part, (laughs) let me for the most part, uh, black black Americans have presented a future where the ones who are once always suffering overt and virulent you know, mm. white supremacist violence could actually live as family in the future, and the reforms that have been suggested would be good for everyone. You know, um, this is also uh, to bring up politics. I'm, I've, I wasn't mm. part of Yang Gang, but but Andrew Yang is reaching into that tradition of. the the Black tradition and saying, you know, we all need a universal basic income, which is something that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was suggesting, right? Yes. And if everyone got $1,000 a month, like, would that be bad? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. That's not bad. Like, I... And and the thing is that when when Black people talk about these things, and I experienced this when I left, uh, not when I left, but when I started talking about a media group that I used to work for a couple of years ago, Relevant, media group (laughs) and i was you know sorry i shouldn't giggle that was so traumatic i apologize well all, all of these things came out oh that's fine all these things came out about how the environment that i was working in at relevant was toxic and people were making suggestions about how it could be fixed and it was things like uh have a real hr department um uh practice anti-oppression culture, have someone train you in anti-oppression culture. Um, and all of these things could have ga- given that company, first off, it would have signaled to black and brown people, we care about you. And that probably mm-hmm. would have expanded yeah, their yeah. customer base. It would have established them as a leader in their space since no one else was doing that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. it would have given, it would have uh, brought advertisers and celebrities and uh, talent to their back to their podcast. I mean, in every way it would have been a good thing, but the only thing people could have imagined was if we do these things, it will ruin us, right? Um mm-hmm. even the thing, even the thing that started the whole thing, which was I suggested that we should do something for Black History Month, and the only thing they could imagine is if they took a month and focused on celebrating black people, it would ruin their company. You know? And I just find, I just find that when Black people are talking about what is required for racial justice, what is required to establish actual equity in our society mm. and to live up to the great ideals that this country was founded on, that a lot of white people only imagine that they will be harmed by doing this. It's a fearful dream. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's like... like, And see, see, this is, like, why I... I, I said this to someone recently i think i was like i said this like on a terror reading call i was like listen you have to realize that everybody is on your team they just don't realize it yet hmm. and what i mean and this is what i mean by that um so of course in, i'm sorry that i keep bringing up the course i'm s- so like but here's the thing a course in miracles apparently according to <laughs> the woos was you know the woman was channeling Jesus Christ himself. So like, it's Jesus, it's fine, everybody, it's fine. fine. Uh, (laughs) But the thing um, one of the passages says is that um, if someone is caught in a fearful dream, they're gonna perceive the light as being something that threatens them, Mm -hmm. as being a part of the fearful dream, the thing that's Mm -hmm. trying to kill them. And so of course they're gonna try to snuff it out. However, when they wake up and they, they see the light for what it truly is, they realize that it is the thing that sets them free and that they have always been free the entire time. Yeah. And I think there's this like that's what happens for so many people. It's just like they've been taught to be afraid of the light. They've been taught to be afraid of uh, to be afraid of God, to be af- and and to be afraid of like what would happen if I gave up a little bit of what I think I need in order to get what I've always needed, what I didn't know I needed. Like there's like a deep sickness that I think a lot of just like white folks and like even myself, like white passing folks, so we don't even we don't even recognize what we're missing because mm-hmm. we get people get caught up in yeah. just being afraid of saying the wrong thing. And that people are gonna yell at them. People are gonna yell at you your whole life, like please grow some grow some skin. Like nobody wants like and that that, and so to go back to the original thing of saying that everybody's on your team they just don't know it yet is that when people really uh i feel like when people finally like synthesize all of this stuff into their life and they're actually able to like begin practices of anti-racism and trying to build trying to start a revolution you know Mm -hmm, along mm -hmm. with along with you and dr king and um I, I think it's just like in your heart of heart of hearts, the core of who you are. And this is something I personally believe is like, I think everybody just, we all want the same thing. We want connection. We want to be, we want to get back to God and mm-hmm. the way we get back to God, we you don't realize is in the other person. It's, we don't realize the way to get back to God is through Jesus. I was like, when you visited me in prison, it was me, you visited, uh-huh. you fed me. You know, you clothed me. You, like, when I got shot, you sought, you sought justice for me.
2: Right.
1: You know, right. when I was, you know, lynched in prison, you know, you sought justice for me. You didn't stop saying my name in the streets. Like, when I uh, was in a cage at the border, you went down and protested every mm-hmm. single day. Mm-hmm. It's like, of course you were doing it. And that, to me, is, like, that, to me, is compelling.
2: Well, I think that there's something... To be said, like, okay. So Dr. King said, I have a dream that mm-hmm. one day little black boys and little white girls will join hands down in Alabama as sisters and brothers, right? Mm-hmm. And they shot him in the head for it. Right? Yep. So <laughs> So I'm looking <laughs> at this and saying, What Dr. King presented to this country was actually something beautiful. Now that now he said a lot more than that, right? Like so of course. So I mean
1: I mean like like, it was one of those things where just like Lord knows like he didn't get shot because uh, he wanted (laughs) like the income inequality to be stopped Uh, like it's so interesting so this is like the king that we remember versus like the, the historical king. It's like yeah. the historical Jesus versus actual right.
2: Jesus. Right, so he, so he says Sorry, a lot of going. things and he's presenting, he's presenting though, I, I mentioned that quote in particular because Dr. King really did believe that there could be beloved community on the other side of white supremacy mm-hmm. if we would do yes. something about it. Now, we have to ask the question, if someone presents a vision like that to you, that says, presents a vision like that to you that says, um. Even, I mean, and he was talking to people who were like actively like lynching black people, you know. So he's literally saying to these people, I believe that you can be more than murderers. And I believe that you can be like, I believe that we can be family. And they kill him. It must, then we're not even, then at some point we have to be talking about desire, right? We have to be talking about what do people actually want? Because it's not like, it's not like Dr. King stood up and said, listen, like, we will not be docile forever one this is this it's inevitable that one day if you keep treating us like this then we're gonna mm-hmm. fight back that's not what he said he said hey we could have something better we could have love and unity and we could have freedom mm-hmm. and equity and and again he was lynched for it so there must be something that it must be a matter of desire that white America has not really wanted racial justice. Right. So when right. we talk about, talk about, you know, reconnecting with God and connecting with one another, it's like at a certain point, you know, we have to talk about, uh, idolatry, <laughs> you know, Yes. Um, because maybe people would want to be connected to God, <laughs> but there's something else that has their attention. There's something else that has their desire <laughs> that they're oriented yes. to, you know, And And I don't think we can talk about politics without that. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Because power is, it's it's sexy and it's fun and it like gives you this false sense of security, like it gives you a sense of security in a universe that is completely chaotic.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And of course you would want that, but then like until, you know, you exhaust it of all of its magic and then Mm -hmm. it's nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's the thing is like Y'all don't realize that like this is truly valueless. You know, like
2: Yeah, and and I was dancing around saying power, but yeah, that's what it is. Is that people people are reaching out and grasping for this sense of security and their sense of security is attached to the idea that, you know, like I am only secure if these people are, you know, not if I don't have to share with these people, you know, Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah.
1: I'm only secure in as much as I know that uh, this, this kind of person is uh, not on the same level or that there, or that there's somebody else who is below me in some way. Yes. Yes. Like it's this thing of just like, I have to make sure that I am the shining star. I have to make, or that I, have all of these things, and I know that I'm doing good because that person over there, they're doing really bad. Yeah. So as long as there is this division between us, I know that I am safe. And it's-, and I know that it's there's, Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead.
2: Well, I noticed that a lot of white people, I shouldn't say a lot of white people, I've noticed that some white people are talking about this in a different way than, I, than I've heard before. Like, I mean, when i was younger i never heard white people just talk like hey like that's the way that that's the way the food chain works you know <laughs> i like, think but that's how i'm hearing some white people talk now where they're just like uh the strong, the strong survive survival of the fittest kind of thing you know and i love Ooh, that God. i love that you're still engaging spirit and spirituality and and all of that because i think that the i think religion at its best is calling us like even if that were true, right? Like it's survival of the survival of the fittest that religion calls human beings to uh, to live above that impulse that says like I am mm-hmm. only secure if I'm dominating others, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, because like I think it's it's definitely built into like our lizard brain nature, like, uh-huh. um, and I think for me also like understanding um, brain science. Mm-hmm has really helped me with my own kind of like uh, presupposition or predisposal towards fear. Mm-hmm. Um, what's um, the brain science tells us that, um, especially if you grew up in um, uh, evangelicalism or any place that's been touched by evangelicalism, and mm-hmm. then by proximity, also white supremacy, which mm-hmm. I think in some, I mean, they're synonymous, aren't they? Maybe mm-hmm. question
2: yeah. mark Ooh. They're definitely they're definitely connected.
1: Yeah, they're definitely at least cousins you know mm-hmm. <laughs> at least
2: only the father um, of evangelicalism was a slaveholder, and ooh. you know so the, the way that that developed um jonathan edwards you know so the way that that developed from his thought of conveniently like arguing for a christianity that accommodates at the very least uh anti-black violence is at mm-hmm. the root of the tree <laughs> oh lord burn it pick <laughs> burn, it up and burn it, burn it.
1: <laughs> no seriously because like that's the thing that like you were saying at the very beginning and this is something i wanted to touch back on too is like towards the end of dr king's life but just he didn't know that but just like later in his career as um you know malcolm x, malcolm x was growing in prominence and then you know mm-hmm. you know double assassination situation mm-hmm. but that people were starting to, to to ask the question of just like is Nonviolence, our only option. Slash, is it our best option as a community to secure our future? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sometimes wonder. Um, and this is something I joke about sometimes. When I'm just like, hey, like when the revolution comes, like I know what side I'm fighting on, and I will totally be down for the movement. I'm a nonviolent. I try. I, I hope in my heart of hearts that I'm a nonviolent person. But just like if, I think. Be- See, this is like where I don't know. Like, I would really have to like. <laughs> I think I wouldn't know until the moment. Like, this is what you're really made of. But I would hope that like I could, I could take a second and breathe before I had to pick up take up arms. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I sometimes wonder. I'm just like, what if that's what it's gonna take? I really fucking hope not. Yeah. I don't. I like. I won't like in my imagination. I believe that like there is a path forward that involves. Uh, getting rid of the guns personally.
2: Yes yes well you know oh, well this is what I study so
1: <laughs> bring it on so, give me some give me
2: something. So there are a lot of thoughts here I mean one is that we would not be being honest if we said that you know violence is useless right like mm-hmm. The, I mean, the American Revolution <laughs> was bloody, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that is, that is how America was founded in violence. So we at least have to admit and concede, because of the very country that we're living in, mm-hmm. that violence works, right? Um, now, on the other side of that it doesn't mean that violence is the only thing that works right and so sometimes we sometimes we talk as though uh violence is the most powerful force for social transformation Hello. and the development of nonviolent struggle as a strategy for action has really called that assumption into question um and but it's because a lot of people don't really know a lot about nonviolence uh, and the different types of nonviolence that exist that people yeah. often, you know, they present it as, you know, it's either pick up the gun or try to hug your, your, your oppressor. Your enemy, you know? yeah. Right. And really, um, there are some really practical reasons to to consider nonviolence. One is that... Uh, There was a massive study by Erica Chenoweth and Maria J. Steffen that reviewed 323 conflict situations over the last century, looking at armed struggles versus nonviolent struggles. If you pick up the gun, you have about a 25% chance of winning. If you don't pick up the gun, you have about a 50% chance of winning. Um, That's a great,
1: that's a great increase right there.
2: Yeah. Based on the study. Now, you're still not like crossing the 50, 50% mark, but it is but it is significantly uh, more likely that a nonviolent struggle can win. The other thing um, is that those revolutions that are fought with arms, uh, mm-hmm. those states that are created in their wake are usually less stable mm-hmm. and they usually descend into civil war which in, within 10 years. Uh, Which is is just not the case with nonviolent struggles, usually, usually not the case. And there are reasons for that. Now, um, at the same time that I say that, we really need to get rid of this binary conversation where people are saying, well, um, violence never works because as we've already talked about, it does. (laughs) Um, And where we say, well, nonviolence is superior on principle and therefore is the only way it should be used nonviolence is not just a principle or moral principle it's an actual strategy it's a science of warfare mm-hmm. that does not involve using weapons on the side of the insurgents on the part of the insurgents mm-hmm. that's what nonviolence is and if you don't learn the strategies you know and learn the principles of how that particular mode of warfare works then you're most likely leading people out into danger. So what Gandhi said about someone like you, Kevin, who said, I don't know if I'm, a, I, I think I'm a nonviolent person, I'm not sure. Gandhi said, I can take a violent person and make them nonviolent. So like, it's not just a disposition that we have, it's a skill that we develop. It's mm. something that we're trained in doing. And if we learn those skills, then we can do that. What Gandhi mm. said he could not work with is a coward. That's the only thing that he said that he couldn't couldn't work with. So on top of that, we need to think of the fact that there is a what Eric McBay. he's another activist who wrote a a book called Full Spectrum Resistance. And what he's arguing for in the book is basically that um, there is an entire spectrum of resistance work or 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 work that can be done. And some of that work involves people who are doing the nonviolent movement stuff. And some of that work involves people who are willing to engage in the more radical uh things. Not I'm not talking about murdering anyone, but but you know, sometimes people say things like riots never help anything. You're just destroying your own neighborhood. Actually there's been a study that shows that riots actually do put pressure on people in power to meet the demands of the citizenry. You know, like they do work because they also don't want you to destroy that property <laughs> you know mm-hmm. we we talk about apartheid and somehow Nelson Mandela has become this uh, icon of nonviolent struggle but the man gave up nonviolent struggle and that's why he was imprisoned for for, for decades right mm-hmm. and what they were trying to do during apartheid was force Mandela to sit down at a table and to renounce the armed struggle. And he refused to do it because he saw that the armed struggle was putting pressure on the apartheid regime to meet Mm -hmm. their demands. And so when I I bring up full spectrum resistance to say that the nonviolent folks and the people who say, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to burn up. I'm going to burn some things down. They have to stop arguing with each other and saying my way is better and realize Mm -hmm. that they both are contributing gifts um to the struggle mm-hmm. that that might actually be complementary one just one more thing I know I've been talking a lot but no like, this I, is I like good to this stuff so um, I also got this from Eric McBay where he talks about how when we talk about justice movements, we need to think about it more as an ecosystem right right so instead of thinking which one of these ways is superior and which one will work, we have to realize that, in an ecosystem, there might be a rhinoceros, and a jaguar, and an antelope, and uh, a firefly. You know, there might be a flamingo in that same ecosystem. Some uh, you know, flamingo. That's you know, me. <laughs>
1: it's me. Like, I'm over
2: there in the corner, and <laughs> I like, hey. Right? And, all of <laughs> <them> <laughs> and all of them play their part. They do their thing. You would never expect for a flamingo to behave like a cheetah, you know? but they both belong in that ecosystem. And so different movement groups and different people who are interested in justice seeking need to understand that we are all different animals and it's okay to be different animals, but we can all work together for justice. right? So, you, as, as a person who's fighting for racial justice, the thing that I see is that everyone wants to just figure out how can I not really have to deal with the color line, right? Yes! Like, everyone's trying to figure out, like, some kind of shortcut that allows them to... to become
1: the good person to Yes,
2: they want to be non-racist by not thinking about racism. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. It's, like, the goal. And <laughs> so, I mean, I've actually... I've been gaslighted about race by a white trans woman. And, Ooh, Jesus. and I'm thinking to myself, I. OK, so just something about me. I don't claim to be an ally to anyone, you know, um, Sick. actually. I
1: actually like. I-
2: yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't claim to be an ally to anyone. Oh. A woman actually asked me the other day if I'm a feminist. And I said only women get to make that decision. So I can't answer your question. Um, so, um, but so anyway, so when this white trans woman like says that, like she's gaslighting me about race, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, but you are an oppressed and marginalized person, like how could you, <laughs> how could mm-hmm. you be saying these things to me? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's like wait, 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 wait a second. I thought we were on the it's scandals, It's like I thought like we got it, like you and me. I thought like we yeah. had this thing where like we understood, like we're both because like.
2: I know that like shit on by Because the thing that I'm not gonna do, like I'm not gonna dead name you, and I'm not going to call you a band because I realize, like, I know that you are a trans woman, right? You're a woman, so yes. I'm I'm respecting that, right? <laughs> Why, and you and you want me to do that, right? Like you you know that you want for me to do that as a cis mm-hmm. uh, man, a cis hetero man. Mm-hmm. But you can't see in this conversation that you, as a white person, are not respecting me as a black person. I don't get this,
1: and that's oh my god, that's the thing. White folks, if some, it's just like I, I wasn't being disrespectful. I didn't feel like I didn't mean to be disrespectful. That's the thing. It's it's the intent over impact conversation all over mm-hmm. again. It's like,
2: mm-hmm. and I think that like, take, oh sorry, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I was just gonna say I'm just like, and that's the thing that a lot of people like need to start with. It's just like, if someone says, you hurt me, you say, I'm sorry, tell me what I did.
2: Oh, right. <laughs> this is not hard. This is like <laughs> it's common so sense. It's so like simple. when you, when you love other people. But I honestly think that like what we're dealing with and okay, so sometimes I try to parse race away from it and say just what you said, right? When someone says, you ran over my foot, <laughs> you say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Do you need an ambulance or something like that, right? Like, um, you you attend to it. But racism, it messes up our common sense in that way because the very foundation of racism is that we are not equally people. Both of us are not people in the same way and equal. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, I don't think that white people really believe that Black people have boundaries that they are bound to respect. (laughs) I don't. I really, <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. I don't mean to laugh at. No, that, I mean it's. I like laugh at it because so it is ridiculous.
2: Real. Like it, it's it's both terrible and ridiculous. But I really don't. I really think that like I think it was the Dred Scott decision. It was definitely Plessy mm. versus Ferguson, where the Supreme Court ruled the black man. They said man, the black man has no rights to which a white person must respect. I just think that honestly, that that's kind of like white people in America. Kind many of them operate as though that's like a personal mantra of theirs, you know? And it's everything from as silly as like touching our hair and all that kind of thing, like to like, you know, up the ladder, right? Yeah.
1: It's like, it's just, it's... It's not hard. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. That's the thing, like, and that's the thing. what's, What's so interesting too, is like, to like bring it full circle, is that like, the conversations we're having around like revolution about imagining a different kind of world, imagining a a world beyond white supremacy where there is actually a beloved community is it's really not that hard. No. Like um, and something, you know, the course would say again, it's just that like the miracle minded way is not difficult, it is different and okay, that yeah. to me is like and of course would also say it's just like the greatest miracle is not a man necessarily a manifestation but mm-hmm. also but a change of heart and a change of mind to believe that you were never separate yes. and so when i can believe that i am never separate from the person who is oppressed then it is in my interest to act yeah um and that's also that's the thing it's just like revolution hello everyone listening to this um revolution is in your self-interest yes um to the people who are out there who are like it's like i'm still a capitalist i'm like you're not a capitalist i saw oh my god who said oh. this on uh twitter the other day i saw it on instagram it was on twitter but it was on instagram but the person said you're not a capitalist your boss who owns who owns your boss who owns your boss is the capitalist the person yes. who owns something
2: i saw you some was tweeting yes. something
1: like that the other day it was that was bringing but just, it's like, no, just like you are a cog in a machine. Right. The person like Jeff Bezos, he's a <laughs> yeah, capitalist. Yeah,
2: Jeff Bezos is a capitalist. <laughs> you Jeff are a wage slave.
0: <laughs> that was my conversation with my friend Andre Henry. You can follow all of Andre's work across social media at the Henry. And you can check out his website at andrehenry.co. Andre, thank you so much for hanging out with me. You are such a gift and such a wonderful person. I love every time we get to talk. Whether it's just, you know, being stupid or it's about music or anything else, you're just a joy. So, again, go follow him across the social media. And, by the way, if you want to leave him a tip to say thank you for being on the show, you can do that through his PayPal. Link is in the show notes a tiny revolution is supported by 120 amazing humans on patreon and if you don't know what that is let me tell you it is the easiest way to support the creatives in your life who are making the content that matter so if you like this podcast and you want to see more things like it become possible i would love for you to become a sustaining partner all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash the kevin garcia to learn about all the sick perks which by the way um starting next month there's like some sweet you know merch coming out exclusively for patrons so like i don't think you want to miss out on that right 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 cool um all right i think that's everything oh of course um follow me across social media at the kevin garcia on most platforms you can also check me out at thekevingarcia.com. my book bad theology kills is available everywhere so you can get that at the book or badtheologykills.com. yeah go get it and um i love you thank you so much for all the people who have already purchased it and shared it across the internet that is just so wild to me that people are doing that which i guess i mean it is a book people read But anyways, uh, I love you. I love all of you so much. Keep your head up. um, Reach out if you need it. Make sure you're drinking plenty of water, getting plenty of rest when you need it. Okay. So till next week, uh, take your meds, call your person, drink some water, move your body, eat something delicious. Make sure you are in contact with your mental health professional. Um, You know, maybe try to spend some time in the sun, get some vitamin D. Um, if you, if you have a meditation practice, make sure you're getting into that. If you don't want, maybe you should start one. If you don't know how Google it, get on the Facebook. I mean, by the Facebook, I mean the YouTube. I've got a, got a meditation on my YouTube channel. I don't know why I'm talking like this because I probably should wrap up. (laughs) Anyways, I love you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of a tiny revolution. I'm so glad to be back and I'll see you next week. Goodbye, beloved.